0: Kia ora and welcome to episode 3. Today we meet a wahine from Te Moimoya, Moemoya, the land of Dreamtime, Australia. I sat down with singer-songwriter Mojo Juju in between soundcheck during a recent gig in Auckland. Yes, that is a DJ you can hear vaguely in the background. Aroha mai. She is an ARIA-nominated artist who has always been labelled other. Of mixed Filipino and Aboriginal heritage from the Wiradjuri tribe of New South Wales, her latest album, Native Tongue, is her most personal yet and talks a lot about being mixed race and that sense of feeling like you're straddling a line between where you belong and whether you're enough. In this episode, we talk a lot about identity, about racism, and about what it feels like to be displaced and have lost connection to your Indigenous culture and how you can be alienated by both the mainstream and your own people. Mojo shares her journey about being a queer woman of colour. We talk about Australian politics, and how she is proudly smashing stereotypes in the music industry. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora. I'm Kiani. You know, we live in a media-saturated world, but we're not exactly drowning in our stories. We all know Indigenous storytelling started in the stars, but like a night without stars, there was a blank space where our story should have been shining. So I invite you to come and hang out with me and some kick-ass Indigenous wahine. See how the world can be shaped by our voice, the unique picture that we see. Let us share who we are and not who we've been told to be. No mai, haere mai, and welcome to Nuku.
1: So, um, my dad is Filipino. Yep. Um, he's from Negros in the Philippines, um, and my mom is also mixed heritage. She, you know, she's got the the Anglo-Saxon kind of colonial Australian <laughs> vibe, and also Waradjie. Um, which is um, one of the largest Indigenous nations in New South Wales, kind of like all the way... I think it's all the way down to Victoria. It's an interesting kind of perspective on things. Like, I didn't grow up in... ..with a deep connection or knowledge of Indigenous culture, but always very aware of my heritage. And it's kind of been something I've had to or we've all had to in the family sort of really make an effort to sort of reconnect with because of the history in Australia and, and, and our own personal history in the family. It's mm. like a lot of that stuff is has been lost along the way or has been a bit harder to access, whereas sort of growing up with a really strong sense of identity around my Filipino Um, background and my dad he he kind of came from he came from the Philippines and and sort of grew up in that culture and he's he's you know very close to his family we're able to really
0: I don't know feel connected to that identity. When you were growing up um, like through your childhood did you feel different? Do you ever feel any different to the other kids?
1: Yes 100% always and all the time like you know we grew up moving around a lot as kids, and we moved mostly through central, western New South Wales in regional towns. So not only was I, like, often the new kid in town, like having to try and fit in, I was also, I had a really weird name. So um, our actual surname is not Juju, it's (laughs) Ruiz de la Suriaga, which is a Spanish surname because the Philippines was colonised Wow by the Spaniards so I had this like really long surname and also you know I just I looked different you know There was a lot of white kids Mm. that I went to school with and I was often the odd one out and there was a lot of stereotypes about Asians and obviously a lot of stereotypes about um, indigenous Australians and you kind of cop it from everywhere like, you never – like, I didn't – I wasn't – I was never white, right? And I was never black enough. Mm. And and there weren't any other Filipinos. So, I was kind of in this weird position where I was like, I wasn't really embraced or accepted by any of the communities that I was part of. So, you're always an outsider. And then when you're looking at, like, the TV or you you sort of looking to – for role models like in the media and stuff there really wasn't anyone that looked like me Mm. and there wasn't anyone that had the story like mine like the narrative that was centered in most popular culture was not a narrative that I could relate to
0: did you at a young age were you able to connect with your indigenous Australian culture
1: no so it's really tricky because they didn't really, she didn't grow up with it either. Like my mum's mum is drew. She didn't know her background until mm. much later, like until her parents sort of passed. She knew who her father was, but she didn't know that he was her father. It was part of that kind of institutionalized, like systematic kind of racism that sort of filters down into like people's attitudes and then there's stuff that got kept secret and then there's stuff that was kind of known but no one talked about. And then it was just like once, you know, her parents passed away, family came out of the woodwork. I guess it was something that everybody knew but no one talked about. And then all of a sudden it was like okay to talk about it. And so, you know, like right now, uh, for example, um, my mom is, is learning to speak Wiradjuri.
0: That's awesome.
1: In, but she's like, you know, it's like it's so late for mm. her to like. to old's re- your mum? Uh, I'm real <laughs> bad at this. I'll never <laughs> know off the top of my head. Um, she's 60 this year. Yeah, so s- at 60, she's like learning to speak her, her own
0: language. How easy is it for her to learn? Because here in Aotearoa, Te Reo Māori is an official language and we've got, Um, money invested into programs to help teach it we've got schools that are dedicated to kids learning are there resources in australia that even um i think
1: there there are to a degree but it's a lot harder to access it's not embraced in the same way like you know i was just talking um with my i'm here with my brother steve who um we play music together and and we were talking about it this morning, you know, from my perspective, because I don't know what it's like to live here, but from from our perspective as outsiders, it just – it's so idealistic here. It's like you guys have – well, for one, you have a treaty, right? Mm. Like, we don't have that. Mm. And we don't have acknowledgement of the history in Australia of colonisation. Like, people just don't want to talk about it. They don't want to – they don't want to – actually face the fact that oh yeah there is like a really violent and
0: Mm. ugly history ugly history in australia
1: and they don't want to you know what i mean and i think by embracing like things like language in a broader community like obviously indigenous communities have really you know they there's there's pride there and there's like a real sense of community and people are really really active to kind of reclaiming All those aspects of identity but in a broader sense like as a nation there there is no like i don't think i don't think on an institution level that there's like the the enough support for that
0: with your with your parents background so um you know with your mum just sort of reconnecting with her heritage later in life what was your identity awareness like
1: Oh, strong For yourself.
0: <laughs> as a as a kid yeah know, like i like mean growing up. like when when was the age where you were like okay this is who i am and and i, I know i think that. as a
1: as a teenager
0: yeah definitely
1: i felt like i knew and i you know like even as a as a kid i think i just always just like if people asked i was just like oh, i'm filipino hmm. you know because that was like an easy answer it was you know people saw me as your brown but you're asian <laughs> and you've got like this weird european name <laughs> so it's like it's tricky but um i guess it just was like oh you know i um, filipino is just kind of easier to explain and i didn't feel like i had the right to claim all the aspects of my identity because i didn't know enough about it but then i realized that that's actually part of of the Indigenous story in Australia that is actually a really important part of the Indigenous story in Australia that so many people have lost connection to their Mm. their roots and I think like you know as a teenager yeah I got heaps more involved in like um Indigenous community like working sort of with reconciliation committee and and sort of wanting to know more and connect more but still very tentative and i still am i'm still like slightly tentative and very respectful and i've tried to always to be really transparent about the fact that you know this is just one aspect of my identity and i don't know as much about it as i'd like to but i want to i want to
0: i find that i find that really common across um indigenous cultures for the those People who have been disenfranchised and have been disconnected, and who they've come to a point in their life where they want to reconnect with their Indigenous heritage and they want to claim it, but they're sort of they sort s- but standoffish because they don't want to offend. They don't. They're not a hundred percent knowledgeable about possibly their language or their different aspects yeah. of their culture. And so, as an Indigenous woman who is maybe rediscovering or reconnecting with. Um, Heritage and identity, and then you're kind of sitting there going, "Oh, it's right there," but at the same time, you're afraid of being being judged by your own indigenous people. You know what I mean? Like, it's you know, there's no you're getting judged on one side and you're getting judged on the other. It's (laughs) like it's gonna happen no
1: matter what, anyway. And then, like, you know, I've got to that point where I've like, well, I know who I am, and I know who my people are. Yeah, I know who my mob is. I know my lineage. I don't have to justify myself to anyone. I've been embraced by certain members of the community and I've also had resistance from certain members of the community and it's like, you know, I'm not trying to be anything that I'm not. Mm. You know, I'm just trying to um, be okay with myself.
0: Um, With that, you are in an industry where people are often told you have to be a certain thing. You have to look a certain way, you have yeah. to dress a certain way, you yeah. have to go to these certain parties <laughs> and, and put your face on, on these particular media things um, in order to be accepted and in order to get airplay and in order to make it in this industry.
1: Yeah, it's toxic, hey?
0: <laughs> I mean the music industry and the television industry just is really 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 bad for that, especially for indigenous people but you've recently come out to say, well no actually you you you've said that you've been labeled too brown, too queer and not attractive enough to sell records. Who the hell said that it's, it
1: was <laughs> just an, it's just an attitude across the board. you know you know what's really interesting is like I've always known who I am right I've always known that I'm a F- Filipino, Indigenous, queer woman. And I've all, always, like, I've always known that about myself. I've never talked about it in my music because when, you know, when I was younger, when I first started out a career in the music industry, I was, like, you know, I was really heavily influenced by, like, Lauren Hill mm. and, you know, I was listening to, like, Michael Franti and, like, this kind of stuff. And I was writing music that was you know, along those kind of lines in terms of, like, thematically as well as aesthetically. But um, people were, like, in the industry around me, you know, as a 17-, 18-year-old, 19-year-old trying to, like, start a career, they are like, no-one wants to hear that. Hey, like, it's not... You can't... You need to stop trying to be so political in your music. You need to... You know, people just want to, like, chill out and listen to music... And take their mind away from their worries. So, as I was really young and impressionable and I was like, these were people from within the industry who had experience. And I was like, okay, well, um, you know, I'm going to avoid politicising what I do. And maybe, you know, even though, like, those were still my values, I was like, maybe being visible is political enough. Like that's intrinsically political because you cannot separate the politics from my identity. People who see me are always going to see me as a brown woman. They're always going to see mm-hmm. me as a queer woman. Like they, I didn't have to come out. People just looked at me and went, "Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we know what you know. What we know what she's about, you know." And that's an assumption that people made about me. And I was like, "Okay, that's really interesting." We'll just, like, see what happens, you know, and so I just did nothing mm. and I didn't talk about it. And what changed? And then I, I got to a point where I was, like, doing interviews and stuff and it was, like, not my most recent record but the one before where, okay, I'd seen, like, I was really idealistic too and I was like, you know, the music industry's going to be a place where I'm accepted. You know, the music industry's going to be a place where they don't judge me and they don't have prejudices towards me because of my race or my sexuality or my gender and i was wrong
0: and it's interesting because often we assume that the creative industries yeah. are so much
1: more acceptable but it's not like accepted yeah, i don't yeah. think you know <laughs> from from like within my community of artists sure but there's still there's many different types of people within the industry and and not all of them are creatives Hmm. and even amongst the creatives not all of them are like liberal minded
0: hmm.
1: you know th- I think that's just this like idealistic idea that I had when I was younger and then when you get in the industry and, you, and you're working in it like there's a lot of people here who are just here to make money and they don't care about and they know that you know it's hard it's, you, you've got to be a product and like that's yeah. what they want to make you into and so I was always just like kind of branded as too difficult And there were all these doors closed to me. And, you know, I was doing interviews on my last record. And I just – it was just – it was like all these different things, like these little kind of microaggressions or these things that I'd known subconsciously or in the back of my mind, but no one had ever said it to me explicitly. Mm. And I had this journalist say to me off the record, hey, I really like what you do, but I'm surprised you've been successful.
0: Wow. And I said
1: to him, why do you say that? And he said, well, because you're a queer woman of colour. And that's really confronting. And I was like, I think he was like, he was trying to be an ally to me, you know? But it was like, wow, you just put that so succinctly into words that that's how the industry perceives me. That's how people in your position and in your job, you perceive me that way. So I was just like, okay, well, you're the media. Put me on the front cover of your magazine. Let's change it. Like, let's change the conversation. Let's, and I was like, I thought about it for a while and I kind of, you know, I let, it, I let that sort of sit with me and like kind of marinate in that thought. <laughs> what, is, what does this mean and what does this mean for me as an artist and what does, you know, how do I want to have this conversation? Because people are having it whether or not I participate. People are having this conversation about me, whether or not I participate. So maybe no longer is it enough for me to just be visible. I have to actually say something about this, but I'm not going to say it in a conversation where they can, like, throw me under the bus. I'm not going to say it in a conversation. I'm like, you know what, there's all these people, and usually white people, having this conversation about brown people and indigenous in particular indigenous people and they're not they're not included we're not included mm. in the conversation so I was like I'm going to do this on my album I'm going to make an album about this I'm going to talk about what it feels like to experience racism I'm going to talk about what it exp- what it feels like to experience racism not just like the violence and the overt racism but like the microaggressions the daily like sideways glances the daily kind of assumption that you know you're not as educated or you're not this or you're not that like that you're less than and I want to talk about what it's like to feel displaced to not to have lost connection with your indigenous languages the loss of indigenous languages I'm going to talk about what it feels like to lose connection to culture And to feel alienated from your own people. I want to talk about what it feels like to be mixed race and to always feel like you're straddling this line between, like, do I belong here? Do I belong there? Am I enough of this? Am I enough of that? Where do I fit in? You know, because, like, you know, as I was saying before, like, I always identified more with my Filipino heritage. But then as I got older and I travelled to the Philippines... And I got there and I was like, I don't know what it's like to live in a developing nation. Mm. I don't know what it's like to live in, like, Southeast Asia. I don't know <laughs> what it's like, you know. I Like, it. I didn't even know. I didn't even really understand until I was an adult that, you know, the Philippines has such a complex and rich history of, you know, like... Actually, the mythology and the creation, like the creation mythology there is, is, it's actually the same kind of stories as like Pacifica culture, because it's actually Pacific Islands, mm. as well as Asia, as well as, you know,
0: has this Hispanic... It's also connected, eh? Yeah, we're, we're it's also so... Connected. We're
1: also connected. Like, the Philippines, you know, and I was like, oh, that's why I've always related to this or that, or, you know, um, that's why... I look the way I do or whatever and like you know as as far as like the indigenous Australian kind of s- story goes it's like oh I've you know the only one that was sort of stopping me from having permission to kind of speak that story was me I know that we're we're Wiradjuri but I'm just like when I was younger I felt like oh that's something I am but i I don't know about it so i can't really talk about it or like you know with knowledge anyway mm. and so now it was just like hey it's on me it's actually on me to go and find that out so it's like i want to talk about all that experience what it's like growing up feeling like that and and kind of be that person for my younger self you know to actually vocalize those stories verbalize those stories For younger people who feel displaced and disconnected to culture because that's that is still a valuable part of the story you know they you they want you to speak and sound like you know and not this is not in any way to devalue it but it's like everybody wants indigenous like all the white people want indigenous people to sound like dr g Mm. They want they want the Gurumals. this romanticized
0: view of what yeah. Indigenous people look like and sound, and sound like. like. There's so much
1: like you know I am so inspired by and you know I have so much time for and like love and respect for the Gurumals of the world and the mm. you know even like Baker Boy who's like the first person to to rap in Australia. In indigenous language Mm. like wow that's incredible i love that i love that but that's not my story and i can't pretend that it's my story but my story still has validity you know it's still part of the indigenous story in australia it's still a really important part because so many people have my story because of stolen generations because of institutionalized and systematic racism that has whitewashed our culture and, you know, assimila- assimilation and colonisation that has destroyed and dismantled mm. our culture. So it's like, I have to, you know, I want to tell that part of the story because that's my experience and there's so many people that have my experience and it's not heard. Yeah.
0: One of the, one of the interesting things I find is that, so this latest album of yours, um, which is, which is very, it's very awesome. Thank you. It's very cool. <laughs> um, it got nominated for three Arias. It is did. That right? Yeah. So how does it feel to have what maybe lots of people would consider such a political album to be recognised by mainstream? It's it's awesome. <laughs> it feels yeah. awesome. Like you know, it's it's actually. It's really interesting
1: because, you know, it is it is a political album but it's also a deeply personal album. Mm. And I think that's, like, the thing that makes it relatable. It's not didactic. It's just, like, this is my experience and, so, and it resonates with so many people, which I didn't really understand the gravity of that when I was making it. It's just, like, as an after... Math of of having it out in the world. It's just like, whoa! I didn't even like know how many people were gonna come to me and tell me that it meant something to them. It was just about me, you know. And now it's like these songs aren't even about me anymore. This is like for other people. But it's um, it is it is interesting because I wrote it at a time of frustration. I wrote it at as at a time of frustration with the industry where I had kind of given up a little bit and gone, well, it doesn't matter what i say or what i do (laughs) because no one's gonna listen they don't want to know about what i have to say i've got my fans this is you know i've got my little kind of fan base that i can you know i'm still having a career i'm still making a living playing music but i'm not going to break through to this like the bigger kind of industry because they they won't accept me they don't they don't want to hear about what i have to say so i was like angry and kind of frustrated and i was like it was a bit of a fuck you mm. to the industry in a way I was just like I'm just writing an album about what I give a fuck about I'm not even gonna try anymore and so and then I wrote it and it's like wow how is that the thing that's the thing that that everybody stood up and and took notice of
0: does the valid does the the awards so I'm in two frames of mind about Awards, in a sense, from mainstream. Yeah. Because on one side, it's like, yes, they're recognising my work and they're recognising Indigenous culture and they're recognising my personal story. And it sort of, like, in a way validates um, what you're doing. And then another way, it's like, I don't need your validation. I don't need... Yeah. You know, so it's like, what? Are you in two frames of mind about these types of things? Or well, is I it look, just...
1: I don't make I don't make music to win trophies. Mm. I've never made music to win trophies, but at the same time, what it affords me is a platform to reach more people. Mm. Once you've had that kind of, and you know, and it is, you know, I do want, I do want acknowledgement from my peers and the industry that I work work in, of course, that feels really good to have that kind of respect, to know that there's, you know, I feel like I've, you know, to a degree of like, know i have had that but i but i think now it's kind of like um i don't know it's just this kind of acknowledgement from the broader industry and of course that it feels good but it's also like if i didn't have that i would have kept making music anyway so Mm. it's like you know it it doesn't change anything for me, but it does I th- in that sense. But it does it does afford me the platform to sort of reach a greater audience, and, and of course, I want to be able to do that to connect with more people. And I think what the most valuable thing for me has been the most rewarding thing has been knowing what this album means to other people. And knowing that a voice like mine, you know, telling this, you know, that this narrative has a place and, that, and other people recognise that that's an important story for, you know, not for me, but for, like, the younger kids because I just keep thinking, you know, it put it all into so much perspective for me. I always keep thinking about my younger self and how it was like there was a small handful of, of women that I knew when I was a kid, like Kate Sobrano, Fika and Linda Bull, um, Christina knew. you know, they were the women that I could see that had stories similar to mine, but they were like, they also weren't like queer women. They weren't women mm. that embrace, you know, they were beautiful women, but they were like, you know, there's also this thing about me that I guess there's like the masculinity in, I'm um, like, female masculinity has never been represented in that mm. way. And I think that there's a lot of that in Indigenous cultures. And because
0: it's really, it's really interesting, you know, you can't well, – it's not that you can't, but a lot of the time you can't be what you don't see. So yeah. you, don't, you don't know that you can be that thing yeah. if you don't see an example of it. Like, you know, Hillary Clinton – okay, we're talking about a white woman on an Indigenous podcast, but, you know, Hillary Clinton, for example, goes up – To be nominated for for president So then young women in America Go hey I could be a president president. You know because it's I've never seen a woman Potentially become a president before I've only ever seen men So what you're doing Is showing mixed race Queer Indigenous, Filipino Australian, you know These young women going hey I I could probably do that Because now I can see, see that it's possible. It. Yeah, I was just I was
1: just saying this the other day. Like, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like uh, another Australian artist named Jeswar. Oh, the name now is really familiar. she's amazing. She's this incredible rapper who um, is just so like she. Yeah, she's I I love her. She's got a song called Savage, and. I, like, highly recommend that you go check it out. But I saw that video and I was, like, what a time to be alive Mm. when there is somebody in the world who looks like that. I almost cried when I saw it because I was, like, I relate to who you are so deeply that I have never seen anyone who resonates with my own sense of identity more, Mm. like, in the Australian music industry,
0: What does the world miss out on if we don't have indigenous female voices in this industry? What does the rest of the world miss out on?
1: So much. (laughs) So much. So much. Like, I don't even know where to begin answering that question. it's like, there is, like, a whole other world like of you know it's this beautiful balance between like this nurturing like deep kind of sense of like mother as well as like that like the fight you know the warrior woman you know like the kind of the it's like strength and vulnerability. It's, you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, it's, I think that's that's probably the best way that I can think to put it is like the balance of strength and vulnerability, the balance of care and like resilience, you know? It's like Indigenous women have stories that, you know, like, they're, they're at the helm of community. They're, they're, they're the ones that keep family and community together. But they're also, like, you know, the ones that kind of drive us forward. I think it's, it's such a different story. Like, you know, it's a different, different story. And I feel like Indigenous women, black women, brown women are always, like, the most marginalised you know, the most marginalised. You're talking about where all of these things intersect. Racism, misogyny, these women experience mm. all of that. All of it. You know, they have to navigate, like, the politics of being a black or brown and being a woman.
0: And work even harder to prove that they're good at what they do.
1: Oh, 100%. I say this all the time. When you're when you're a person of colour, you have to be three times better than ever anyone mm. else to get heard. Mm. When you're a woman of colour <laughs> like
0: you, you you are amazing when you're a woman of colour you are amazing but you have to show that you're even more amazing. You have to you have to be more professional. You have to be, you know, show up to things. And, <laughs>
1: and people are going to say things about like pe- the way that the way that people talk about Women in positions of power, right, mm. or women who are in control of their own like careers or you know whatever. People talk, you know the 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 things that people say. There's like, I mean, I don't know if I, I mean you've you guys have got Jacinta. It's like probably different yeah. here, <laughs> like but but you know like I here
0: mean, i mean it's, it's a, i have to say our political system is much better than Australian yeah exactly <laughs> it's right <like>, you know <laughs> like it's like but that's not to say that you know, indigenous women are killing it over here no
1: <laughs> not at all not at all but i guess it's not as much like like in a, in australia you saw what happened when we had a female prime minister for like a minute mm. and it was just like
0: we keep our prime ministers a little bit longer than you yeah guys do.
1: <laughs> that's right well you know we we haven't had a Prime Minister see out an entire term (laughs) in a good decade, Um, (laughs) but it's like change is the only constant. (laughs) (laughs) That's the motto of Australian (laughs) politics. Um, But you know, like they they just undermined her, and like the way that uh, you know they speak about Australian politicians, Australia. I mean, I mean, um, female politicians in Australia. It's just like it's disgraceful, Mm. and and so. You know you you experience that but then you also experience like as a woman of color you want to defend the men as well i find like within communities it's like you you find yourself kind of often defending the men because you want to protect them you want to protect your sons and your brothers Mm. and you know your fathers and your husbands and your uncles and you know you want to protect them from the prejudices that you know that they experience mm. they're from this demonization of black men and brown men in the media you know mm. it's like it's so easy for the media like always they're the predator and the demon and and so the women have to protect their men but then it's also they also experience the misogyny from those men and it's like it's 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 just such a you know
0: it's such hard work
1: it's such hard work and they're just so strong and resilient and fierce and and so, but yet at the same time so warm mm. and loving and nurturing mm. and that's a that's an incredible balance of things to like that's a tightrope that these women are walking every day and i think like they, they they are the most inspiring stories, and we're not hearing them. We don't hear them. Well, hopefully, we're going to
0: hear a hundred of them. Well, this yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. But we, you know, like I mean, yeah. it's it's taken it's taken you to do that for yourself. Like you're mm. driving this initiative, where yeah. it's like, you know, like if you don't create your own platform, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Exactly it doesn't exist. It. it doesn't exist unless you do it yourself, mm. and. You know, and it's it's the same like on the flip side of of that, like, you know, the demonization of, of people within our communities. It's like there's also the fetishization of people within our communities. Mm. And, you know, like what we were talking about before, it's like, you know, you kind of you can tell those you can tell those stories and they can be heard but only like within this really narrow perception of what they are. And so it's really cool. I think it's really cool that this, like f- this podcast, exists where you can actually uh, crack those stories open and like get, like into, into the s- yeah get get right inside it like to where, you know the 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 real truth of it is and I don't know. I think that I think that it's been too long where these voices and these stories haven't been heard and. I think that it's changing. I think times are changing.
0: Mm. Who is an Indigenous woman that has inspired you or that has influ- had, a, had influence in your life?
1: Oh. There's, there's many. There's many. Tell, tell me tell about you. one. I'll tell you about um, actually my best friend in the whole world. <laughs> well, actually not in the whole world cuz I think my brother's your actually brother, brother's, my brother's, brother's actually brother's my best friend. Like what about
0: me? <laughs> yeah.
1: No, my brother's actually best
0: female friend. My best friend,
1: <laughs> but my be- best female friend. And I think she's she's like a sister to me. Like we actually like family, you know, we've been together like we've known each other for a long time. And um is uh Kira Peru. Um she's I mean she, you know, she has grown up in Australia but she's a Moldy woman. And she is such a, an amazing musician and performer and she's got one of the best voices I know. Like my brother Steve, I can see him from here because he's <laughs> sitting over there and he's just nodding <laughs> in agreeance because, you know, she's like part of our family. Yeah. And, um, and I think she's got some incredible insight. She's super intelligent and... I don't know, I'm constantly inspired by her and what she's doing and, you know, um, how she strives to be the best at her her craft but also as a person and in the world, you know?
0: Mm. What do you hope for the future of Indigenous women?
1: Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Just to thrive and to be heard. Like, it's our time. It's time for us now. Yeah.